Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids and we're doing Read the Reviews! Jazz hands! Okay, <laughs> this one is called The Doula of Self-Directed Learning. I recently described Robin to a friend as the doula of self-directed learning, just as a birth doula supports a mother by explaining all her options surrounding labor and birth. Robin provides options and casts vision for what a home education can be, like a doula supports a family postpartum. Robin walks with families to answer questions and offer resources. Her voice is one briming with joy, and it's contagious. She's the voice in my ear any free moment I have. I've devoured nearly 50 episodes since, fi- episodes since finding her podcast four months ago. Robin, your podcast is a true light in our family's unschooling journey. Thank you. Thank you. That was a very nice review. All right, let's get on to the intro, unless you want to say anything. I just want to say what a like thank you very much and what a wonderful comparison. That's what we're hoping and striving to do with this podcast and you really understand that and we're happy that you've been finding some inspiration and joy and support through it as well. All right, let's get into the intro. Who did you interview in this episode? I interviewed Sue Patterson. Why did you interview Sue Patterson? Uh, well, because Sue Patterson is an unschooling mom with so m- many years of experience, and she's just really, she's just genuine love and sweetness to talk to. And I, she offers a huge amount of support to the community she has for many years. She has grown unschoolers now. She unschooled all of her kids. And really, Sue is just a great person to connect with, to hear her experiences, be inspired, to gain support. And also, we want to support each other as well. So she has a new podcast out. If you haven't already listened to it, definitely check it out. And she's been a source of inspiration to me through her Facebook uh, page, her group, Unschooling Mom to Mom. And I know she does coaching and other support too, but I found support through Sue. And of course, I wanted to share her with all of the rest of you. What's the main thing you guys talked about in this episode? Well, we talked about Sue's journey into unschooling, how they decided how and the why of unschooling for her family, how they found themselves in that journey and what it looked like for them. I I think sometimes when you're on the path and you're early in the path and you don't really see it because it's so different from the traditional methods, sometimes it's nice to hear the experiences of others and how they've lived it and practiced it and how it worked out for them to have a good understanding of how it can unfold for yourself. And that's really what we spoke to in this episode. Sue shared her joy and experiences and she really laid out different circumstances and how it was still individual for each of her kids. Uh, how one of her kids returned back to school for a little bit, how, um, how what it looks like for them as adults now being grown as grown unschoolers and, um, you know, the, the joys and, and how they overcame things as well, overcame the obstacles. So that's what we shared in this episode. Sounds like a great episode. And I know that you support the community too. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, we still provide as much as we can to support the community. And there's many different ways where you can access that. So first, of course, through this podcast, through all of the episodes and information that we provide through the podcast or on the website as well, imhomeschooling.com. I also have a club in Clubhouse, Honey, I'm Homeschooling, and I host weekly rooms twice a week on Clubhouse, and that is open and accessible to anyone that's part of the Clubhouse community. So I host a room every Tuesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Mountain Time, which would be 6 p.m. Eastern Time or 3 p.m. Pacific Time in the United States and Canada, although you can access it all over the world. And I also host a room Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. Mountain Time or 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, I host the room on Tuesdays with either different co-hosts or on my own, the Saturday morning room I host with Liana Francisco, who you probably have just listened to her interview previously. Her and I host a room on homeschooling and unschooling and all of the topics that support learning in that. But the base and foundation for our Saturday morning rooms are on uh, foundation. Is The foundation is connection, connection and relationships. So there's that that's available. There's also the monthly Q&As that myself and Judy Arnell and Golda David host. That is through Zoom, and you can always find the Zoom link on social media, on my social media page, Facebook or Instagram, and I usually send it out on my email list as well. And so that is through Zoom. We record the sessions and you can find the recordings if you're a patron on Patreon, patreon.com slash honey, I'm homeschooling the kids. And, um, and as well, many other sessions or conferences that, that I host or are a part of. But I will be having a resource coming up very soon, the beginning of June. Watch out for that and listen more for that, where I'm putting together a masterclass for families that are thinking of homeschooling or have started out on their journey of homeschooling and unschooling and are just not certain how their year is going to go and they need a little bit of help with creating a a soft template or framework on how to base their year and kind of help guide themselves through the process as well. So just watch out for that. But there's so many resources and inspiration available for families. And if you have a question, just reach out through email or direct message to me. Okay. Um, (laughs) don't forget to check out my mom on Facebook, Instagram, and on her website at Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. And would you like to say anything else? I think I spoke enough. (laughs) All right. Enjoy the episode. Okay. Today I have Sue Patterson joining me on the show. Welcome, Sue. I'm so happy that you're on. (laughs) Hi, thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to talk (laughs) with you. I'm excited too. So if you're just being introduced to Sue, and I have a feeling this will probably not be the first time that you've been introduced to Sue Patterson, she is a homeschooling coach and founder of Unschooling Mom to Mom. She helps parents find creative ways to approach learning and reconnect with their children when their current educational option isn't working. She's been active in the homeschooling community for 25 years and is happy to share practical suggestions of how to make unschooling work. Her own three unschooled children are now all young adults with successful careers, degrees, and families. Sue offers a variety of coaching packages, printable guides, ebooks, and courses at www.suepatterson.com. And that's Sue, S-U-E. Her book, 
Homeschooled Teens, 75 Young People Speak About Their Lives Without School is available at Amazon. If you're looking for more information about unschooling, her website is a curated curated site with unschooling writers from around the world, unschoolingmomtomom.com. All right. Welcome, Sue. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. So maybe we can hear a little bit more about you, about your journey into unschooling, really. Uh, So you're a parent of grown unschoolers. Why did you guys choose unschooling? Were you always unschoolers or how did you find yourselves in this path? No, we were regular run-of-the-mill suburban (laughs) doing all the regular things. You know, my kids went to preschool and they went to school and... Um, and I had three. And so when my oldest went to first grade, well, he we went to kindergarten first, and he was a rambunctious, and I should have known from the start, this isn't going to work. But he, um, you know, they, handed, they handed me that list of the things he's going to learn in kindergarten, and he already knew them all. And I, you know, like count to 100 and tie your shoe and all those back when in the 90s, a, a really basic list. And he had been kind of just a, a kid that loved to learn. And so they said, oh, well, we'll just reinforce it. Well, it wasn't long before he was dueling with pencils in the back of the room and, you know, just playing. And they're like, well, we think he's kind of advanced. I'm like, well, okay. And, but he won't sit still long enough to do the gifted test. I'm like, okay. And, you know, I just went along for the ride. I didn't question things. I just did what they said. So they moved him to first grade and, um, and they did put him in a gifted program, which of course met during PE. Oh no. (laughs) And this kid that clearly needed to run a few laps building (laughs) didn't really get what he needed out of that and um and so it went long before they were saying it I think we need to um talk to the doctor about ADD medicine and that just was like the shades came up the light came in and I'm like ah Mm. let let me think about that a little bit and I met somebody that had um homeschooled their kids and they weren't unschoolers at all, but they were really delightful children. And I was like, this is so nice. And I, you know, when I would take Michael to school and I would see those third graders and they were dragging, you know, they were tired and they didn't want to be there. And they looked so big compared to my little kindergartner and first grader. And um, and I thought that is not what I want for his future. And it was at that time that we were about to move from San Antonio to Alaska because we were in the military. And, um, and so they said, all right, we're going to give you his folder, his sealed folder with his records. Like I wasn't allowed to look or something. And, um, you hand it to the school when you get up there. And I thought, we're done. (laughs) We're done. I'm not going to do this. And, um, and, and so we, I think it's so funny because I wanted this really, I envisioned this really creative, wonderful, fun learning experience. And I chose Calvert School in a Box (laughs) because it felt safe and it felt (laughs) Well, you did what you knew. (laughs) I did. And I thought, you know, I just, mm, I'll get my feet wet with this. And so 
um, it wasn't long before Calvert didn't fit either. <laughs> you know, when he, they wanted him to do a little writing exercise and gosh, that boy hated to write. And I'm like, come on, just try, you know, I'll have ice cream. <laughs> I tried every kind of thing. And, and they wanted him to write about a little red car. Um, and it was, they had a picture in the book and it was a little convertible. Okay. We lived in Alaska. There were no red convertibles anywhere. <laughs> and he wanted to write about the moose that had come up to the window because it was about to be an earthquake and they all move out from between the houses, you know, to get away from the buildings because they just know mother nature. He wanted to write about that. Right. And, she, and we had this teacher because I not only signed up for Calvert, I signed up for the teaching service too, because I couldn't trust myself. You know, it was all so foreign to me. And I'm like, no, we're not doing that. I'm not going to make him hate writing. She goes, no, you have to, the red art, the way the letters connect, it's really deliberate and it's important. And if he doesn't learn that, then it'll be, like she implied it was destiny for failure if if he didn't learn how to connect the letters correctly. And right. that um and so that was the beginning of my thinking, you know, we're in Alaska, we're very far away from Baltimore where those Calvert people are. And I think we're gonna just do our own thing. So <laughs> I had a ceremonial breaking of the pencils. We shall not write for that lady. <laughs> because I just kept thinking, I didn't want to make this kid hate writing. I was going to make him hate it if we kept on with it. And I'm like, I can at least protect him from this. And, um, and so I kept thinking, you know, when we first started, I was so afraid. And I just thought, well, they'll always take us back. We pay taxes. How bad can I screw up second grade? <laughs> and I had zero confidence. And so, you know, I think that's really an important thing that I often don't mention, how underconfident I was. And I was a rebellious kid in school. It, it wasn't a fantastic experience. I made good grades, but I was in trouble for talking too much all the things. And, um, and so when I did this, this was really hard and different, difficult. I thought, what am I doing? And, um, and now I am so confident that it's the right way for kids to learn if the parents can embrace it. And it's such a journey, right? You know, to go from where you start through all of that. And then you can, I can look back and I can see, wow, that was a total waste of time. <laughs> or that was a total, you know, a worry that <laughs> never happened. Or, um, and how those fears interfere, yeah. you know. And so that's, it's quite a journey. Yeah. It's, it's exciting. And um, and so it wasn't, you know, we did our one year of Calvert. And then I met a couple people that were unschoolers. And um and they're like, you don't have to do that. In Alaska, where you were. Yeah. And they said, you don't have to do that. And I'm like, really? You know, they could just play Zumbinis. <laughs> they could just, you know, remember those jumpstart third grade? I don't know if you're old enough to know that. But there were there were these things that the kids just played. Yeah, and then we went to museum classes and we went on nature walks. And we just, you know, there was no time for for those lesson plans that just seem to be holding us back. And um, so we skipped it 
and our our next stop was California after Alaska, and that's a place filled with unschoolers. And so, um, even though we right. would say, "Well, we're kind of unschooling ish." <laughs> Um, people tended to refer to us as uns- the unschooled family or, you know, one of a few of them. And then when we got to California and there were a lot and we just had, I met Mary Griffith, you know, she wrote the unschooling handbook and she also wrote the homeschooling handbook, which was the first book right. I ever bought. And, um, and she was, and she didn't live very far away. I had, I was really fortunate in where I lived. Like when I lived in Alaska, I lived near the Hegner family and they ran, they um, published Home Education Magazine. And so they were unschoolers and their kids just snowboarded all day. Oh, like, oh yeah. Okay. Wow. Right. <laughs> and they were just so nice and so <laughs> helpful and patient with me and my suburbia questions. <laughs> But um, it it was all good, you know, and it, it's just the path. It, everybody's path is different, right? Right, right. When you're in Alaska, you just had your son first in Alaska. Did you have your other kids there as well, or was that not until you moved to California? Oh, I did. I did. I, I, I spoke a lot about him, but at the same time, I was um, – <laughs> Katie went to kindergarten. And Katie was in kindergarten while I homeschooled Michael with Calvert. And then I had this two and a half year old. And so I just thought, no, I'll just take on one. I'll just do one. So I had one foot in each camp, which was a nightmare because I was, you know, I was, we were off at an ice skating thing, but we had to get back by noon to pick up Katie and she was not enjoying kindergarten at all. And, but I kept thinking, you know, she was kind of hard <laughs> and I kept thinking, I can't have that. I need to be able to focus on his homeschooling. And, um, and that after a year of that, we decided, nah, no more of that. And then, it, and Alyssa, Alyssa went to preschool like two days a week because because my mom really, you know, everybody has their issues, right? My mom really pushed hard. She'd been a teacher and then a social worker. And so she was like, this is too weird. This is too weird. And, um, and I'll pay for the preschool. The neighbor kids want her to ride with them. You don't even have to. And so I let her go. Cause she kind of wanted to, actually she wanted to, she didn't know, but she liked the kids and any other, <laughs> any opportunity to play with other kids. That was her her total experience. So Michael's total experience was kindergarten and first grade. And then Katie's was kindergarten. And Alyssa's was preschool until years later when she went to high school for a year and a half. But um, the other two never looked back (laughs) as far as their school experience until they went to community college. Yeah. So I I would like to ask you then, especially knowing that your mom was an educator and then a social worker, (laughs) which actually sometimes seems to be an interesting common commonality between some unschoolers, either their parents were educators or they were educators who then left the system to unschool. Um, So for you, what were some of the beliefs? Like you seem like you, you talk about it fairly casually, like you're like, you know what, let's get this is not happening. This this cal this box curriculum let's break these pencils and let's just enjoy life and learning but were there some things where you're like oh you know what like 
this is this has come up and I'm just not really sure. Maybe I should, maybe we should be doing this. Or, you know, I, what beliefs were really tested for you, especially in those early years before you met more, more in schoolers? You know, I think that um, I had an advantage that Michael knew how to read really early. So I didn't feel like there was anything that was like, um, something we were missing. I didn't. And, and so because Katie didn't learn to read until she was eight, by then I had already kind of read some more about unschooling. So I wasn't pushing it, um, which I think is possibly not necessarily true. You know, our memories of the situation mm-hmm. aren't necessarily accurate. True. Um, true. Because I do know that when I had bought I bought that Sing, Spell, Read, and Write because they had these little booklets of, of, you know, readers, you know, like the cat sat on the mat with the hat and <laughs> that kind of thing. And um, and I know that her response to me was, just give them to me. I'll take them upstairs and teach myself. <laughs> okay. If that's my memory, then obviously prior to that, I must have been a little naggy. <laughs> um, but... She did, in fact, do that. She, you know, she went upstairs and, you know, three or four months later, um, she could read that book. And we had done things like read this, you know, phonetically things like stop or um, exit or go, you know, just words that showed up in real life. And so because they were short and easy little things, and we often talked about sing-songy kind of things and rhyming and um and so she pieced it together and her brain was ready you know and so I think that I worried about a little bit about that reading I didn't worry about anything with Michael because he was really into sciencey stuff and he loved and he was also a big communicator he he was like me in that he talked and talked and talked. So I always knew where he was on stuff. And he was really curious. And so um, I didn't worry about that. And then with three kids, you know, it's a busy house. And, um, and so with Alyssa, though, with my youngest, she didn't learn to read until she was 10 or 11. And that was problematic. That, that, you know, one of the interesting things to me that I learned about myself <laughs> and about other people too, because <laughs> the advantage of being military is we move enough that we could see other, a lot of people. And that de-schooling concept rears its ugly head all over the place. Right. You know, it doesn't just stop after the first six months. It it comes back. Yes, it does. <laughs> you will it have does. another opportunity. Yeah. Fear not. <laughs> <laughs> and and so for, for me... And- you will confront it again. <laughs> yes, yes. You will meet your old friend again. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so she couldn't read and she wanted to so badly. And we tried everything. And by then, I really knew unschooling pretty well. Um but I couldn't figure out what was, what was wrong. And, um, and it was just that her brain wasn't ready. And so what Mm -hmm. I wish now in hindsight, I wish I hadn't tried so many approaches to try to help her be able to read. I wish instead I had simply focused on her strengths 
and and continued to do the things I did. She was involved in Girl Scouts, so I told her Girl Scout leader, you know, she doesn't read very well. She really doesn't like to be on the spot. She doesn't like to be in front of the group. Those were all true. And I said, so if you have something like they have little ceremonies where they read pieces of things, like pieces of a poem altogether. If you have something like that, could you give hers ahead of time so that I can go over it with her? And she was fine with that. So we, we did a lot of that or, or I could see where something was going and I would help with the troop and I would ask if anybody needed to go to the bathroom (laughs) and, and I'd get her out of there, you know, so the pressure (laughs) wouldn't be there. So I ran interference, you know, until her brain got ready and, and I don't really know how she came to read because it was such a nightmare for her. I just decided we'll just talk about it casually We'll look at a few little books because you know the problem when they when their brain doesn't do it until later. Some kids are really unhappy about those cat mat sat hat books. You know they are well aware that that's not what their peers are reading. Yeah. You know, and she was one of those kids that carried around a big thick book with her wherever she went. She couldn't read it, and it it made me sad and I know it made her a little bit, um, have a little bit of anxiety, but the thing that I know now really clearly is you can't rush it. It's just like potty training. You can do little things to help them, but they don't necessarily move into that decoding stage until they're ready. So the most, the, the, the best thing a parent can do is to focus on their strengths. What do they do well? Keep your fears out of the mix. You know, you really know about horses. You really are great with people. Look how good, you know, just pointing out what their strengths are. Because as they get older in that 10, 11, 12, 13 year old range, they are starting just growth from a growth and development standpoint. They're starting to see where they fit in the world. And they don't like some pieces of it. Well, you know, no kids. I mean, that's part of growing up, right? Um, But but if you're a kid that doesn't read and a lot of focus has been on reading, um, then that's a problem. So I also am kind of, I want people to understand that reading is not the holy grail. You know, reading is a tool and some people use it more than others. And now with the internet, you know, if reading before, you know, you think about how schools work, that first through third grade, it's all about learning to read because come fourth grade, the teacher doesn't read it to you anymore and you have to read it for yourself. And so um, it's really important that kids get on the, the plan and learn to read. That's not our life. You know, if reading is just a tool to bring information into your life, which I believe it is, um, there are other tools that do that. Sometimes it could be conversation. Sometimes it could be video. It's just another tool, not better, not worse than the others that are available. And so when you can talk to kids about, yes, you learn all kinds of things. Yes. Thank, thank you for saying that. Yeah. Yes. You know, we have so much baggage from our own school experience that um reading 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 oh my gosh if you can't read you know 
I can remember when I was, I was an early reader and I remember being put with these kids that couldn't read. And I must've only been like first or second grade. And I remember this girl and I, I don't even want to say her name, but I remember it vividly, (laughs) but she couldn't read. And she looked up at me and she said, I can't read that. And tears in her eyes. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do about that? I'm like, well, here's what it says. And she's like, yeah, but I can't read it. And I think about how that lack of confidence probably stayed with her her entire life. You know, that that kind of a thing. And I thought, I don't want to do that to my kids. And I want to make sure other people don't do that to theirs. There is no reason for your non-reader to feel bad about not reading because they can gain information in other places. So what, what's your reading experience with your kids? Was it similar or was it different or do you, I'm just curious. Well, our, my kids, my kids went to a school that was very, you know, it was like a project-based learning school, which was fantastic. It was an independent school and I worked at the school. Mm -hmm. So, but it started, it was really intensive. Like I think now it's so different (laughs) from how we are now because it was, the kids wore uniforms. They started from age three and they went full time, like the same time as the grade nines. They went all day, age three, age four, age five, up to grade one. And they had a really strong reading program. And so they started learning to read in phonics from age three. And it was just really tied into their program from age three to grade two, I think. They did this this program all the way through. The program was actually a good one because it was all about teaching kids through song, sight, touch and movement, how to read, like how to learn your sounds. So for that, it was really good. It was very dynamic. So kids, if you, if you were someone who wanted sight, if you're someone who wanted to move, it really worked in that way for all different, mm-hmm. all different kids. Um, so we would, and I knew the program cause I worked there. And so that was my son's early introduction to that. I, we already had like all of the songs and stuff like that at home. So it was pretty well, just like, Oh, I know this already. We see this at home and we do this at home and I knew all of the actions and everything Um, but it was also a lot of work but it was also work like they had stuff to do at home with parents and I do remember it was like Saturday or Sunday school was Monday and my son would have been kindergarten and we hadn't done the homework for Monday and it was kind of like sitting at the table getting him to finish this stuff where he loved school and he really enjoyed it, but it was like, he was five, you know, <laughs> like we could have been playing and, you know, and, and then, so when he, he was already reading when we started homeschooling or, and, but then my daughter, she had started in that program too, but only for six months. But honestly, like I, I did it for the first little bit when we started homeschooling, cause it's the same. I just took, we left halfway through the school year. I just took what the teachers gave us. We just finished it very quickly because we had a lot of time and my daughter did it too. But after that, really for her, she picked up reading. She did it pretty early, but she was always, um, you know, I stopped doing that program and we just, you know, we read out loud together every day, like in the morning, at night before bed, we painted, we, you know, we drew things, she told stories, it was very just, you know, we would, you know, we had moved to Jamaica. 
And so we were at the beach and we would look up, you know, the fish names and read about that and then to draw them. And so I think her exposure was very different. And I don't know if this is the case, but right now my daughter is her, um, she loves to read. And I also don't know if that made a difference because it was so not forced upon her. It was just so relaxed and just we let it be. And while my son still likes to read, he's not as much as a big reader as my daughter. But like, so that was our experience. It was yeah. a little bit different. And so with my son, it was kind of already forced. And my daughter, we just kind of let it go. And it happened when it when it did for her. Well, the research shows that when um, those you know, some kids start to learn early and others learn later, but by about mid teens, it's all evened out. It evens out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So for all that freaking out that we as parents might do, and then to also remember that they say, you know, the bell curve is that it's at about a little over age seven for when kids learn to read in school with like a heavy emphasis on it. And um, so it shouldn't surprise us when kids have a more relaxed atmosphere that they would learn to read a little bit later and um, that 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 shouldn't. And again, the bell curve, it it doesn't mean that's the year everyone learns. You know, they learn on both sides of that to make that. That's right. um, Yeah. And I think that, that that's important to remember is that we are all so different and so there may be yeah. this, you know, here's this standardized data that, you know, we try to place every single person up against, but we're not all at that exact dot <laughs> in so many things, whether even if it's our dexterity, our mobility, our reading, our, you know, in so many ways we are, if you show our, you know, our dots are all over the place, depending on what aspect of our right. development we're at. So and reading is included with that. But with school, you're right. It's the way that it's structured. They want kids to read by a certain time so that they're more independent. So the teacher can do different kinds of work with them and more work, right? right? More intensive work. Right. And I think that, you know, parents, we don't know any better. Kind of like me choosing Calvert. <laughs> we just do what's familiar. Yes. And we're so worried that we're gonna mess up our kids and that we're gonna somehow we're going to make doors close because our ridiculous choices (laughs) and that's just old school tapes in your head you know because every everything is a choice everything you know do you nobody is guaranteed if we learned anything in 2020 we learned that um life changes fast (laughs) and so we need to be able to adapt need to prioritize I mean from an unschooling standpoint and the thing that I really learned was that we need to prioritize this connection with them this communication with them so that we can see where they're going and then we with our life experience that's bigger than theirs or with our our ability to uh, find resources or research things we can help them. We can fuel it. We can be a really great tour director. That doesn't mean we have to be um, completely orchestrating every learning experience. And, you know, that's what I learned really about unschooling was that we really are hardwired to learn. We're hardwired to be curious. And, um, but what happens, whether it's the system of school 
or the parents and their fears, we get in there and we want to orchestrate things because we can't see it all. And, and it just gets us more frightened or makes us more worried that their future is going to be a disaster. And, um, and it becomes, it becomes too big of a focus and it, it, you know, that would be something that I would invite people to think about. If you're, if you're carrying with you, oh my gosh, I'm making him do this because it's good for him because he'll thank me someday down the road. Um, I, I would invite you to look at it a little differently. <laughs> that right now matters. Right now matters a lot. And we don't know what's down the road. So, um, you know, when you can connect with them and figure out how can we all have more joy in our life? It, it doesn't mean, no, you have to do these workbook pages. You have to do these writing assignments. Um, why? Because my kid that did the little pencil breaking, <laughs> the ceremonial breaking of pencils, <laughs> yeah. ended up with a degree in journalism. <laughs> a degree in journalism and was magna cum laude. Because he never wrote a research paper, never wrote a book report. He didn't write anything more than thank you notes to grandma for Christmas presents. And most of those... He dictated to me, and I. It was back during the old days where you could, where you could. Well, you probably can do it still now, but you printed it out and you put the ink setting really, really down low, and so he would write with a felt tip pen, and you couldn't see that he was really just ah, tracing what we had printed. And she's, that's a great idea. Beautiful. Yes, isn't it? <laughs> so, um, yeah. There are ways, there are ways to get around it. And, and to remember, be, and I was 100% right on that, that I could make him hate writing by making him do those things all through those years that people say, well, if they don't keep practicing, then they won't maintain it. And oh my gosh, he'll be behind and he won't know how to write a research paper in college. Right. They taught him how to write it. He had to do a little bit for the, which was interesting. He had to do a little for the assessment, he had to, um, I'm in Texas. And so, I mean, for those of you that aren't in Texas, some of you already know that we have kind of a weird way here. <laughs> and our community college, the way it works is the writing assessment is all about school. So you go and you take these assessment tests in reading, writing, and math. And he did fine in reading and reading and math. And in the writing, the question was, no pass, no play, pro or con. Well, okay, that's a thing here that because sports are so big in Texas, if you don't have a 70 average by Friday, you can't play in the football game on Friday night right? or whatever is the sport of the weekend. Right. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, right. Yeah, he knew, right. The, he knew that because we were a family that talked about things like that that are happening in the community or something that's talked about on the news or something that's in Newsweek magazine or something. So he knew the concept, but he didn't know how to write a persuasive paper. So instead he wrote, well, it could be the only thing the kid is good at, but I understand. You know, he wrote both sides. And, you know, as far as the persuasive paper goes, <laughs> I left. <laughs> and so he comes back. He's like, okay, fine. I'm like, because before I'm like, you want me to show you how to do this? No, no, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> and so he came back. He's all right, show me how to do it. So I showed him the basic five-part paragraph, you know, with the intro and 
Then you pick three supporting arguments. You don't have to believe them. Just which right. three? And your body you and yeah, then your conclusion. Yeah. Right. And then your conclusion kind of reverses the intro a little bit. Use the word like incidentally, spell it correctly, but it will help your rubric a little bit. And, um, <laughs> And so he did. And so his next his next question was um, school uniforms, pro or con. He says, I could think of three reasons why uniforms would be a good idea. This was a kid that like drew Zelda on his shoes. He was hardly a school uniform kind of kid. <laughs> but um, he he uh, he could he could support that. He could do those three supporting arguments, and he got in, and he was fine. And he never had a problem. He never. They taught him what he needed to. Here's the footnotes. Here's what you do. You look up these resources. Make sure you have five. Write it like this. Because mom, they tell you what they want. You just do it. And I'm like, yeah, that's a really hard right. thing for right. people. <laughs> But when you haven't had it crammed down your throat all the time. Yeah. And, and I think that is one of the big questions for unschoolers as well is if you don't teach it to them, how will they learn and then have it for later on in their life? And if they're not following the school structure or rules of all of those, you have to learn at this time and do this and this, then what opportunities are even going to be open to them later? How will they even get into college or university or get a job if they don't have, you know, if they can't write it, if they can't write an essay, <laughs> you know, like it's, you know, that those are the fears. Although if we think about it realistically, they actually never- are not completely relevant. No, they're not valid at all because then my second child, she mainly – because all three of them were so incredibly different. And she um, did mainly acting and voice and dance, one show after another, all through her teen years. She ended up writing a little fan fiction because she liked to do that. And um, so she went to community college for a little bit. She went at, – at 18, she took the test – the assessment test. And she did terribly. She didn't do well in reading or in writing or in math. And so, you know, she hung her head, went back to, you know, she worked at Barnes and Noble. She knew how to, you know, she could do things, but she couldn't pass the test. And so um, that was our perception of it. So we come back the next year and the counselor says, you know, you don't have to retest. You can just take the courses that fit where you are on the assessment. Ah. Like, what? Ah. <laughs> and she's like, yeah. So college algebra, you don't take college algebra. You take what I would call, but they didn't call it this, what I would call developmental or remedial classes that help get you up to speed so that you can do the college algebra. So she took three semesters of math, two semesters of writing, and one semester of reading based upon that really poor score that she had when she had taken it the year before. And she had a great time. She said, you know, they teach it. Oh, wait, wait. So hold on. Let me get some clarity. Okay. (laughs) You said three semesters of math or three classes of math? Three. Well, three, it's three classes. You took one at a time and it lasted for three semesters, you know, so she took a a fall, a spring. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) And she was caught up. She's a mom in three semesters. Okay. So she took like the first semester, she took a reading, a writing, and a math. And the next semester, she took a math and a writing. And the next semester, she took just a math. 
So she had three of math, two of writing, and one of reading. And um, and then she was able to take any college course they wanted. Okay. And she's they they teach you everything. When is someone going to ask me for the quadratic equation? I'm ready to give it to them. <laughs> I'm like, no, babe, they're probably not going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that – and what she had said to me that I thought was really important to share with your listeners is that um, – she said, you know, I was sitting in a classroom full of people that had given up their life for 12 years and they were sitting in the same class as me where I had just done show after show after show and had this fabulous childhood and they were not right. ahead of me. And I actually felt like, she said, I felt like I got the better end of the deal. I got to do what I want to do and then take the classes I needed and move forward. She goes, I traded 12 years for three semesters. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of powerful. Yeah. That's so very powerful. I think that when you, if you look, yeah, if you're looking at your kid and you're like, well, he's not super advanced at this. Um, that's okay. It's really okay. Because when they have to take a community college class, they will meet them where they're at. To be honest, they want your money. <laughs> they want you to take those classes. And the schools are letting out tons of kids that don't know how to do it. Right. And so they'll be in class with your kids and it'll be fine. And your kids won't have the, the emotional baggage yeah. of feeling like I'm a failure and I'm this and I'm that. My yeah. kids were like, no, they teach it. I learn it. It's done. <laughs> um, because they hadn't had all those years of, of you know, a, a bad association, you know, a bad taste in their mouth about the word learning. Right. right. Um, you know, I was always running into kids that said, oh, I don't want that toy. It says educational on the box. Right. And I'm like, wow, my kids didn't really notice that or, or think of it as um, – having any impact but but what i came later something bad yeah. or something and what evil. i came later yeah. because those kids had been conditioned by school that this is going to be fun <laughs> here's our educational thing and i'm going to make it really fun and it was no fun at all right, right. <laughs> but it was fun like compared to a time multiplication test right. maybe yeah. but let's not call it fun <laughs> So I always felt like they have had a warped idea of what that really means. So, um, yeah, but I think that that's really important. It's also the other thing I, when I, you tell that story as well, and it's so powerful what your daughter said, I completely connect with that. And it's also the fact that not only is it the, you know, the little lie that it was going to be fun is, is be learning will make learning fun, even though it's not fun. Maybe it's that person's idea of fun. That's not, doesn't translate to the rest of the kids, but it's also like, there's no choice in it. You know, usually they have great ideas and how, how they're going to learn and what they're going to do, but right. you lose the autonomy, you lose right. the power of choice to guide your own learning and make those decisions. And in the end, you feel really powerless. And when after all those years, you have no no choice. Yeah, or we wonder why our teenagers feel resentful at school because they've been told shelve your stuff until you do my stuff for year after year after year. And some of us can remember what that felt like. Some of us can remember that there is just a little 
irritation all the time of who do you think you are <laughs> telling me what to do all the time. And I got some ideas and, um, you know, some kids don't have that. Some kids are really good students. They learn how to work the system. They learn how to make A's. They learn how to get teacher's approval. Um, so they become really great people pleasers later, right? But they also, that those kids that are a little resentful, you should maybe think about that's a good sign. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good sign that they don't like being completely bossed around all the time. Yeah, yeah. That's try not to punish it out of them, or you know, usually it's try you try to stamp it out. But yeah, those are the ones who usually, you know, it, there's you know all the friends you think of. You know, we have a family that we're friends with, and he said he struggled in school. It was not his place. He did not do well. But as soon as he got out of school, he flourished. He, you know, he dove into his interests. He found, he met interesting people that would become mentors for him. He created many successful businesses. He has a very, you know, he's very loving father and he just, you know, he dives into his enterprises and does well and just dives into them with passion. And he always talks about his sister who did so well in school and she became this, you know, she became an academic. She continued her school, but she's always still struggling because she's all, never doing anything that she really wants to do. And she has fear that if she does it, it's not going to work out. But the the path that she followed is like, she's just unhappy. And she's alone <laughs> in so many ways. All that conditioning, right? All yeah. that conditioning to stay on the conveyor belt and don't, don't rock the boat and you know, that's really a hard thing to get over. And I'm, you know, it's interesting for the, for the man you were referring to that he had to wait 18 years until his life started. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that mm -hmm. seems unfortunate when he could have perhaps been pursuing some of those things at 14 at some small yeah. level or, you know, played with it and gotten to do some other things. And, and that would have been, that would have been a good thing, you know. Yeah, to be yeah, able that to, would have been a good to thing. try to not have to wait for life to start later. Yeah. Oh, that's a great. Why wait for life to start later? That's a great tagline there. <laughs> um, and my youngest, who often refers to herself as not academic, you know, I was not. She didn't read early. You know, she now she. It was interesting. The math that she knew, she really knew. Like. Um, <laughs> you know, I had mentioned before they were Girl Scouts and at the time Girl Scout cookies were $3 a box. And so she was like a salesperson, three, six, nine, 12, 15. She knew that. <laughs> she knew those. And again, it's because it was <laughs> when it's in context, they know it. And when there's no context, then there's no reason yes. to hold on to it. And um, interestingly, uh, you know, my son now is, um, he's 32, about to be 32, and he's working on his MBA. And he, um, he only went to college because he wanted to join the Peace Corps. He had traveled as an uh, exchange student in high school, and we had had an exchange student come and stay with us from Japan. And he he decided he wanted to be in the Peace Corps and discovered you had to have a degree for it. And so 
when his whole reason to take community college classes was to um, transfer them to a university. So he was able to do that. I know that's a lot of people's fear of how will they pass an SAT or an ACT. Well, if you take community college classes, you don't even have to take it. You can just transfer in as a sophomore. Right. And so that's what he did. And he was really deliberate about which classes he took to make sure they would transfer to the university that he wanted to go to. And he kept thinking, I'll be a travel journalist. That'll be a fun reason to travel. You know, I'll get a degree in that. And, and he went off to the Peace Corps after, after he finished his college, which he did great at. Um, you know, he was a radio DJ because remember I mentioned he was a talker. Radio is the perfect place for somebody that likes right, yeah. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and so he and he was he had this show on at midnight where it was all these cultural musical things from other countries. He got to do it his own way and stuff, you know. It, so it was fun. And um, he went off to Nicaragua where he taught high school teachers how to teach English. So the first time he ever set foot in a high school was to teach the teachers how to teach. <laughs> but it was in Nicaragua. And, oh, um, how interesting. And it, was, it was, yeah, and it was a good experience. And he, he met and fell in love with someone and they moved back and they live in Dallas and he, um, and he got a job there and they bought a house and did all the things, you know. And so n- now he's working on his MBA because he wants to write grants and do things like that. So who knew, you know, all from the from the boy that broke the pencils and hadn't had, you know, was tracing his thank you notes <laughs> to to this. And um, and then my daughter did go ahead and um, go to a film acting conservatory and she in New York, because, you know, in her mind, you've got to go to New York. Of course, the year that she went was the year, was the year that the hurricane hit up there. And it was just, I mean, there was just a million things and the soap opera industry kind of went belly up because she kept thinking, I'll get a job in a soap opera. It'll be so great. Well, it turns out New York was just a little too cold for her. <laughs> and so she took the second year of the conservatory over in L.A., where she loves that place. And she's in Southern California in Burbank. And she got married. And they're both voiceover actors. And that's how they met. And um, And then, you know, they're also... Lyft drivers and food deliverers and dog walkers and all the things you got to do when you want to be an actress. But she'd gotten her her associate degree in fine arts through the conservatory. And then my youngest um, became a hairstylist. And she always wanted to do that. And so she does these really complicated, she has fancy color stuff and, and has this huge clientele. And for people that are worried about, you know, sometimes people have a funny idea about technical type of jobs. And um, and I'll just go ahead and say, she makes more money than both my college graduates combined. <laughs> so oh, for I'm those sure. that yeah. value, yeah. <laughs> you know, how much, how much you make is your sign of success, 
don't knock those trade schools. You know, certainly we just had a big freeze here in Texas. Man, what it would have been to have a plumber in the family. That would have been a good thing. <laughs> and, um, right. you know, those are not yeah. jobs to be outsourced. Yeah. And so I think, you know, it's just something to remember. We get conditioned. I remember when, when Alyssa went to high school for that year and a half because she wanted to do the drill team in the, you know, at the football halftime and stuff. Mm-hmm. And oh, it was, this is your decided, middle child. She's the youngest. She's the youngest. The one that was the really the youngest, light okay. reader and the one that, um, so she, the other two had gone and it was just a, a less chaotic house. She was used to a lot of commotion and she wanted she wanted to know people in the neighborhood where she could, you know, have sleepovers. We had sleepovers, but our friends lived across town. And, you know, she wanted that school experience. And she watched a lot of Lizzie McGuire. She thought it was going to be a whole lot of locker time. <laughs> she learned <laughs> high school musical kind of thing going right. 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 It didn't quite work like that. And, um, so she went, but what I was going to tell, and she did fine, even, you know, because of the way the school system works, even, even on, in her algebra class, she wasn't very good at it. She didn't like it, but, but she was, she had never really been around a lot of adults that weren't nice because, you know, we could just move away from people that were, <laughs> that weren't really great. You know, you tended to surround yourself similar way. And so she didn't see adults as the enemy. So she's, you know, the teachers adored her, you know, she's making eye contact the whole time. She's truly interested in what they're saying, you know, whereas the other kids have really been conditioned to believe the adults are the enemy. And, um, she's like, I don't get that. (laughs) Like, well, of course, by the end of it, she says, no, now I get it. Because the kid, the, the adults constantly think the kids are lying. And then before long, the kids are lying. Right. Because you're going to get blamed for it anyway. Right. Like, oh. And so it was was a real eye-opening experience for her. And what was interesting when she left, um, the vice principal comes running out and says, but Alyssa, you were going to do so well in life. Like now this path you're going to take is such a bad path. She was like, yeah. Oh yeah. She wasn't even trying to hide it. It was, it was like, it was shocking really. And she said, you, you had a chance, you know, don't throw away your chance. And I'm like, she's not throwing away her chance. Thank you very much. This is, we're done with this experiment. (laughs) (laughs) So this, this is because Alyssa took, she left school she left, she went to school for a year and then left. Is that she left for the last year of high school? Is that she didn't finish high school? Yeah, she went at age 15. So that would have put her as a sophomore, but she had, because we are not accredited and because we had an unschooled life, there was nothing to transfer. And so what they did, and I was really blunt about it. I said, you know, you know, we've had this very progressive approach to learning. We have a lot of life experience. It's a, you know, experiential focus. And, you know, I said all these things that sounded good to the counselor, but he says, but she can't, you know, we'll put her in sophomore English. We'll put her in sophomore, a couple of other things. 
but she'll have to take credit by exams to get caught up. So she took, and, and she needed to take summer school on both ends of that sophomore year. So she started in summer school and, and got some classes under her belt. Then we did some credit by exams, which were like flash, you know, she and I just went through these flash cards where she just had to memorize it and she just had to come away with a 70 and she got a 75 on them. So she got credit for world history and a couple of other things. And, um, and so by junior year, cause then she did summer school the following by junior year, she was caught up with everybody. And, um, which is interesting how that worked, but she was, and so she took her, all right. And she took her junior level classes and, and she did fine with them. She was a B student. She was on the drill team, did all the things that she wanted to do. But then, you know, the drama of 150 girls on a drill team, that's a little much. (laughs) And so she's like, okay. I think I've had enough of this experience. Thank you. And, um, and you know, to be really honest, it was, it was kind of a rough school. We, when we bought this house that we're in, um, we didn't pay attention to what neighborhood it was. We had unschoolers. We weren't going to use their school system. It didn't matter. And so, so the high school was a little rough and she's like, mom, they're <laughs> fighting in the cafeteria. I heard all this stuff about pulling off your earrings and putting your hair in a ponytail. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, but you know, it's funny now. And, and from, a hairstylist standpoint, she's had the best of both worlds. You know, she's had this really nurturing, fun, exciting life that we traveled all over the place and just explored and did things. And, um, you know, she's the kind of kid that we had a birthday party where everybody brought their pet. It was insanity. Somebody's coming with a turtle and someone's coming with a birdcage. And, you know, it was just the kind of life we led. It was, it was pretty, um, creative. <laughs> and so she had that life and then she had this yeah, it was pretty free yeah. and supportive. Yeah. yeah. And then she had this high school experience that she didn't ever have to think about um oh, I wonder what, you know, the grass is always greener kind of on the other side. And she got to see, nah, the grass isn't really greener. <laughs> and we did it very much like an experiment. And I even said that at one point with the principal, something had happened. And I said, you know, um, I'm going to be really honest here. I'm not a fan. <laughs> I This is something she wants to do. And I want to let her. But it's just an experiment to me. And I don't foresee we'll stay the whole time. She, she could prove me wrong. But um, I just want you to know where I am with it. <laughs> Their jaws just dropped, you know. Oh, I'm and, sure. Yeah. And then the, the vice principal immediately jumps in with, oh, Alyssa, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. You know, put on her best cheerleading voice. And um, and she didn't, I mean, she, pieces of it she loved, pieces of it. And we did it our way. Like, she would text me and say, oh, my gosh, get me out of here. And I would pull up at the back door and get her out of there. <laughs> or yeah. she would, you know... I'm, I'm so starving. Can you stop by and get Sonic? And I would just do that and drop it off. So we were able to still keep that connection, you know, that this was an experiment and I was still 
on Team Alyssa as far as school was right. concerned. And right. um, and we did it on um, our terms. And then we were done. Right. But we didn't have to, you know, that concept. So many people have that concept that you have to jump through all these hoops to be successful in a school system. No, she didn't jump through any hoops to be okay in high school. And the kids that went to college didn't jump through any hoops to be okay at college. It's just not true. You know, they right. don't have to do those things. Right. And she had the choice like that. That's the other thing I hear is that she didn't feel that she was stuck in, stuck in the school and she couldn't leave or, yeah. you know, she, she probably felt that much more free because she knew it was her choice to be there and she didn't have to stay there. And she said that often. She says, you know, I know why they act so badly. They're trapped. They don't get to choose. Mm. They're stuck. And I'm like, are you done yet? Yeah. <laughs> are you done yet? And she's like, not yet. There's another <laughs> thing I want to do. All right. <laughs> Experiment's not yet complete. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Sue, I know it's um, getting later and we've come to our time and I'm so thankful that you shared the stories. I think the biggest thing you have is a gift of insight, right? Yeah. Because so many parents say, well, we want to know how they turned out and you're able to share that and I really appreciate it. They'll be okay. (laughs) But before we go, they will be okay. They will be. I would like you to share your podcast because I know that's something new that's coming out. And then also how anyone listening can get a hold of you um, if they want to learn more, if they want to get in touch with you. Uh, so share us yeah. your share your new venture, the podcast, and then share how we can connect with you. Okay. Well, the podcast is Unschooling Mom to Mom with the number two in between the moms. And, um, and basically, that's exactly what it is. I just want to have five or 10 minutes with, with listeners to just give them a little bit of a pep talk to let them know that they have a choice and these different things they're worried about, maybe just a little more information about it so they can feel more comfortable. And so it's a weekly podcast and you can find it at, well, hopefully by the time I get this all done, (laughs) we'll have it at all the places that you can listen to podcasts. (laughs) Currently it's at the website and um, at Buzzsprout. And then also I have it put in over at, unschooling mom to mom and at suepatterson.com. So if you're looking for unschooling information and you aren't really sure about it, you, unschooling mom to mom is the place to to look cuz there's just a ton of information over there. There's a blog. You know, I've been blogging since 2007, so there's a lot. And um and suepatterson.com mm-hmm. is the coaching website. So if you need coaching, whether it's one-to-one coaching or it's group, I have a group membership where we do live group coaching calls every week and multiple times and something for parents of teens. And there's just a whole lot of support because I just kept building things that I thought, well, I wish I had that. Yeah. <laughs> so I would build it. And and then the guides that are if you, if, even if you think, oh, no, I can't do that unschooling thing, um, the guides might help you. They, they're like $10 or $15 of, of just like 20 to 30 mini magazine kind of thing on the things that worry people, like whether it's socialization or a typical day or technology. And it comes at it from an unschooling perspective. But again, remember that 
you can take pieces, you know, what fits you today, take what fits and then keep flexible, keep listening. And it may change over time, but it may not. And that's fine. And so those are ways that you can just get a little more help so that you can offset that tsunami of school approach, you know, that we've all been inundated with. And you can see, oh, well, there is another way to look at it. And, um, and that's what I hope to give people over at suepatterson.com. So that's probably all the ways for people to reach me. And Clubhouse, where we ran across each other. And, and you're in Clubhouse. Yeah. 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 I, have a, I have an unschooling mom to mom thing there <laughs> on Mondays at one o'clock central time. So whatever your time zone thing is. So that's been very fun. And, um, and then on, on the free Facebook group, we do a um, Tuesday Q&A kind of office hours for a couple of hours um, on Tuesday afternoon. And so that's right. right all kinds of places. That's what you get to do when your kids are grown and gone. You're like, I think I'm going to use all this information. <laughs> yeah. There's so much info. If you just are being introduced to Sue, Sue has like a plethora of information and resources. So there's a lot and it's actually, I'm just so happy that you have that out there for so many people that have questions and it might be un- uncertain or have doubts or fears. So it's really good. I just want people to know they have choices. There are choices. And if their kids are miserable, they don't have to stay stuck. You know, that's just a really important message I think everybody needs to hear. Yes, yes. And that is a good one. Thank you so much, Sue. I'm going to include all of the information on the show notes, how we can uh, get in touch with you, uh, your podcast, your website. Um, and if you're listening and you want to join Clubhouse and you're not on there, I guess let us know. I've been trying to give out my invites to unschoolers and homeschoolers, to my listeners in the community. So um, we'll see how Clubhouse continues to open up. But yeah, it was great to talk with you. Thanks for inviting me. It was fun to talk with you too. I'm excited that we'll still keep crossing paths. Yes, yes. I'll see you in Clubhouse. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Robin. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Sue.